Welcome to the Park City Podcast, a podcast created by Park City Church to discuss who God is and how he is at work in our lives. I'm your host, David Morelli. Welcome back to the Park City Podcast. Again, my name is David Morelli, and as always, I'm joined by my friend, Phil Schomber. Phil, March Madness kicked off last weekend. How's your bracket doing? <laughs> Uh, busted, uh, as probably a lot of people's uh, brackets are. Um, I was actually doing pretty well after the first round. I picked uh, uh, several of the upsets, and you know, was thought I was doing well. And then you know, the second round came, and everything fell apart. Half my final four is gone, and other teams that I had going a. a decent distance uh have fallen by the wayside as well so yeah bracket busted almost like almost every year right i was gonna say yeah the annual cycle of we fill out a bracket we say man this is this is the year it's gonna be like super accurate you know i'm gonna get all my final four teams right national champion right and then right day two happens usually you know some days we make it through the first day or two like you said and then usually by saturday or sunday there we go yep then here we are go saint peter's <laughs> go peacocks yeah. i think is their their mascot uh yeah. yeah we stop we throw the bracket out the window and say all right just as much madness as possible who you know uh how many upsets can we see and you know can we can we get a 15 seed to win it all because i i'm down to witness that yeah that that's probably the the main thing that can be said for having everything fall apart in your bracket you know first you know the first weekend is that yeah now you can root for saint peter's or you know whatever the lowest seat is and just you know hope for the craziest uh set of outcomes that 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 can happen exactly and that to me that's what makes it the greatest tournament in in all of sports just because i mean you really can't predict it right i mean even if you are a, a peacocks fan and you picked st peter's to beat kentucky right off the bat you you know probably didn't pick the other you know handful of upsets that you know kind of no one saw coming and and that's what's fun and that's why you know we tune in every year and we like to see the uh, the St. Peters of the world beat the Dukes and the Kentuckys and the you know the Blue Bloods of the sport, and and that's what makes it entertaining. So uh, much uh, to continue to enjoy. And next weekend, we'll just have to check in next week and see, uh, you know, maybe how the Peacocks are doing. Well, before we get into today's discussion, let's look back at what we talked about last week. Uh, we looked at the topic of prayer and how it is closely tied to our relationship with the Lord. And then in our devotional discussion, we talked about how we have been created in the image of God and really the significance of that. We talked about how we can uphold each other's inherent dignity. Now, this week, I had the opportunity to preach, and I preached on Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. And we looked at, again, the continued call to superior righteousness that we have throughout the Sermon on the Mount uh, and the invitation that Christ has for us to really lift our eyes off this earth and onto our Father who is in heaven. And we kind of considered two specific ideas, treasure and worry. Now, Phil, as you were listening on Sunday, what stood out to you? Well, I would say the importance of uh, taking time to, to reflect on what is truly motivating our actions and our decisions, you know, because we may not automatically be aware of those motivations and, and, and at times those things, you know, the things that we're doing or, or just the decisions that we're making might seem good on the surface, but they might actually be motivated by priorities that aren't in line with, with God's priorities. 
Right. And we've touched on that point, you know, multiple times in our discussion throughout the last couple of months. And I think that was one of the things that I was trying to, again, communicate was just how subtle some of those heart motivations are and how easily kind of the problems then can manifest themselves because we just do have that lack of awareness. Right. And again, I think some of it is, you know, the, the actions in themselves or the decisions in themselves may not, you know, automatically be uh, a problem, you know, but again, as, as we dig down and find out that, you know, oh, we're doing this or that because something inappropriate is, is, is drawing us to it, that, that that's our priority, whether that be what people think of us, whether it's money, whatever it is that, you know, that has a bigger drive than, than we might want to admit. And so, like you say, um, with, unless we take a, that closer look at our heart, we may not, you know, realize, you know, how much something's driving us. Right. Right. One of the points that I was really reflecting a lot on as I was preparing for the message was just how beautifully Jesus points us back to the father's heart for us, right? Like that becomes the the basis for his argument. And I hope that came across as I was preaching, because I think that's a really key point for us to understand and, and key thing for us to reflect upon. Like by nature, we want to lay up treasures on earth because our, our perspective, the way that we look at the earth, our world, our life is, you know, worried about and looking out for our priorities and, and our circumstances. And by nature, we have a tendency to then worry about those things when our circumstances change or, you know, when we, we begin to doubt our ability to make things work. And by shifting our eyes to the heart of God who is for us, Jesus really helps us to see the futility of that and to see the solution for it. And by meditating upon the heart of God, I began to see that treasures on earth are of little value compared with treasures in heaven. Really, they have no value in comparison. And I begin to see the futility of my worry because I see over and over again just how deeply God cares for me. Right. And it's only by shifting that focus that, you know, our priorities can you know, line up with God's. And as you say, when we focus on uh, God, God's heart, his specifically his heart for us, you know, that, that transforms the way that we look at the world. Um, and as a result, kind of what we consider important in it or what isn't important, maybe more specifically. Right, exactly. And that's really Jesus's point in the passage. It's, it's not, he's not as concerned with, you know, the specific topics of, of treasure and, and worry so much as he is with our perspective as kingdom citizens. So how does Jesus's emphasis on the heart of God and his perspective in this section help us to see the Sermon on the Mount not as a collection of many topical sermons, but one large sermon concerned with the aim of his children because they have been reconciled to God? Well, you know, I, I think we've noted time and time again throughout the series that what makes Jesus teaching so challenging is that he focuses on that inner area that our, our attitudes and our motivations. And in our passage uh, this week, you know, he, he, in essence, gets to the heart of the problem, which is our heart, which is set on you know the wrong things. And, um, 
you know, we, we care about world, worldly things more than we do about God. Um, and as a result, our, you know, our actions are focused on achieving those worldly objectives. And to change that, we, and to live out the kingdom values that Jesus has been outlining throughout the sermon, you know, we've got to change that. We've got to develop a heart set on God. And to do that, you know, we need to see him as he truly is, our heavenly father who takes care of us and plans to spend eternity with us because he loves us. And when we recognize that, loyalty to him uh, becomes a natural response. So I think that's what ties it together is, is Jesus, you know, points us in the right direction so that the things that he has been teaching us become a more natural response uh, because we've got our, our heart set on the right thing, and that's that's God himself. Exactly. It's an area where, you know, we kind of miss the forest for the trees, so to speak, that analogy. And, you know, we talked about this, I believe it was the, the week that we talked about praying, giving, and, and fasting, where, you know, we look for those measurable things because, you know, it's a it's a tangible action that we can take, and then we can kind of almost use it and bring it to Jesus and say, hey, look, see, you know, here's why I'm worthy. Here's why I'm righteous. And again, that's that's not the point. Is he, as Jesus has repeatedly come back to throughout the, the sermon, that, you know, it, it doesn't have to do so much with our, our outward actions or appearance, but about the perspective of our hearts, of about a heart change that results in us due to the fact that we have the Holy Spirit, due to the fact that we've been saved. Um, and again, not that our outward actions don't matter. They, of course, do. But I think when we focus too heavily on the specific topics that Jesus teaches on, we tend to make it about the outward appearance again. And now there's a time and place, obviously, to, to you know, dissect giving or praying or, um, you know, the topic of treasure. But I think we just need to be cautious not to make those things a list of to-dos or obligations and instead catch the bigger picture and understand really what Jesus is calling us to aim at or pursue, and that's the kingdom. And so I think in many ways that's where, you know, the verse Matthew six thirty three that I touched on on Sunday sums up the entirety of the sermon, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that that then becomes our aim. And with that as our aim, our perspective needs to change because we are children of God, right? Because we have received God's love, but as we've noted many times before, that change requires an external uh, solution, right? Sanctification by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's only when our aim changes that we become people who are poor in spirit, who are pure in heart, who thirst for righteousness, people who love their enemies well, people who are generous to those around them, people who ultimately seek first the kingdom. Right. You know, as, as we've, again, mentioned time and time again throughout the sermon, one of the responses is, how am I, how can I live up to this? You know, the, the, the teaching that Jesus has been outlining is, is so demanding in one sense. And in, in this passage, you know, we get the answer. Um, you've got to set your heart on the right things. Otherwise, prayer is going to become in an opportunity to look good in front of people because you're not really concerned about connecting with God, for example, um, 
or any of the other uh, the any of the other specific teachings, as you say, uh, they're important. But again, it's it's how to achieve them. Because of our sinfulness, we we will inevitably make it about ourselves unless um, we've learned to to make it about God. Right. So how does a consistent reflection upon the heart of God actually help us to do that? It helps us to, to treasure him as supreme. Well, you know, if, if the problem is that we treasure worldly things, you know, Jesus says that the antidote is to, you know, lay up treasures in heaven instead. But that requires, you know, seeing God who is our ultimate reward is something more desirable than what the world has to offer. And, and how do we do that? Well, you know, I think it's by reflecting on all that he's done for us, as well as the reason that he's done it. It's because he loves us and, and wants to spend eternity with us. And, and when we see that, you know, it, it changes our perspective on everything. And all of a sudden uh, he becomes more important to us than, anything that we could gain in this world. Right, exactly. And I think that's what's so important about taking the time to kind of bring things back to the heart of God. And I think this is something that I think the Lord's been teaching me just uh, of late, kind of over the last year or so. And I think a lot of it um, began when I read the book last year um, that we that Corey had promoted and we had passed out a handful of copies, uh, the book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. And, you know, in that, Dane does such a great job of pointing us back to the heart of Christ. It was kind of the the book that, um, of course, out of the Bible, but then, you know, consulting that book that kind of shaped the sermon series that we did on the heart of Christ last fall, if you remember that. But reflecting on the heart of God then really does, it brings us back to that proper perspective. And I think it's important for for us to bring all of the things back to that, right? Like, why are we told to love our enemies? Well, because God, when we were his enemy, right? When we were children of wrath, as it says in Ephesians 2, he loved us enough to die for us. Um, You know, and though we were his enemy, though we were sinful and broken and we had rejected him, as B.B. Warfield says, his heart was still set forth throbbing for us. And, you know, when you take scripture and look to apply it, you know, without first considering the heart of God, I think, again, our sinful nature wants to take it and make it a duty, an obligation, um, rather than an act of worship. And I think that distinction from obligation to act of worship, at least for me, only occurs when I consistently reflect upon the heart of God, when I preach the gospel to myself and you know, then as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, as we talked about, you know, the ultimate aim of the Christian life is seeing and savoring God, then God's heart becomes the motivation for my obedience, right? Obedience matters, but only out of the proper motivation. Uh, and his heart is the reason that I desire to be like him. We, we actually see the character of God and we're, we're moved towards him. Um, it, you know, it, his nature is such that we desire to become like him. Um, and so our worship then becomes about his grandness, his glory, uh, his perfect character. And as you know, you mentioned before in the devotional, 
God is worthy of all of that because he is actually that good. Yeah, we talked about that with um, John Piper's sort of summary um, that God is most glorified when we're most satisfied uh, in him. And how are we going to be uh, learn to, to be most satisfied in him? It, it's, it's, as you say, when we truly understand uh, who he is and, and we see the love that he has for us and just how good and just how great he is, um, when we see that, it, it transforms our response to him where, again, uh, as you pointed out, then, then what we do isn't simply um, an act of obedience, though it is that. It becomes more than that, and it becomes something that we do out of love for him. And, you know, and, and, and it's something that we want to do and uh, that we're happy to do. Right. Like there, there is one level to our aim in that we do want to be obedient to God, right? Like because the Lord is holy, we have a, a reverence for him and we desire to obey him. But like you said, what's, what's even greater than that is, and I, you know, I think this is what, you know, Matthew six thirty three is getting at is there's this kingdom pursuit that actually you approach that obedience right out of a love for him, out of an, an you know, in admiration for who he is and a recognition that that obedience isn't getting you anything. It's not, um, you know, we don't serve the Lord in such a way that, you know, we twist his arm to show us love or to show us favor, right? He's done all of those things already. Uh, our identity, you know, our security is, is firm in him because of Christ's life, life, death, and resurrection, but that obedience exactly like you said becomes because we desire to become like him um, because we've you know tasted and seen of his goodness and his love that we can't help but do anything else we actually start to desire the things that he desires and and you know there's a, a role that the holy spirit plays in that of course as you know we've touched on and we'll we'll talk further about that uh when we get to that section of the devotional but that perspective is something that you know we need to I think continue to come back to and reflect upon regularly because we see how our brokenness just kind of day by day that becomes a challenge with with wrestling with that correct perspective instead of you know it's it's so easy to slip into something that you know we kind of say okay well I need to obey God and it becomes you know this legalistic um, you know form of, of trying to please him or you know we we just we miss out on really aiming at heaven and the kingdom and its priorities because our own sinful nature gets in the way. Right. And uh, it, our sinful nature makes it very difficult for us to, to naturally um, adopt this, this perspective that Jesus is calling for in the Sermon on the Mount. But that's where, you know, we're grateful that God has provided an answer to that one in, in Jesus death and pain for the penalty for that sin, but also by giving us the Holy Spirit to uh, continually call our our hearts and our minds back to God, directing our attention back to Him, so that we're we're continually reminded uh, of His goodness and His love, and 
all of what that means, you know, for our lives. Absolutely. And that topic of our, our sinful nature and the, the struggle we experience with that, I think is a good segue onto our devotional discussion. So we'll pause the sermon there and move over to the devotional where this is the last week of the topic of humanity. And we are discussing how the image of God that we talked about last week, how that image within us has been distorted by sin. So in the first reading this week, Phil, you mentioned that sin isn't merely something we do, but it's something that actually resides within us. So why is that important for us to understand? It, it shows the, us the depth of the problem. Uh, I had a friend uh, recently who uh, showed me a, a, a video of a Bob Newhart skit where he was a counselor and he has a patient that comes in who explains you know, the problem that they're struggling with, and she's expecting some comforting words or, or wise advice, but instead he just yells, stop it, just stop it. And, and it's funny because we know it's not that easy, right? And, and that's especially true with sin. It's not just a matter of stopping something or doing something differently. Um, you know, as we have talked about, again, in the series on the Sermon on the Mount, our struggle is internal and we struggle with sin because we're naturally inclined towards sin. So it's not just a matter of doing this or not doing that. It's that struggle with that inward pull that we have towards uh, sin and that sinful perspective, uh, you know, laying our treasures up here on earth. That skits reminding me of, I think it was a, Geico commercial from I don't know, it was probably 10 years ago now but the same sort of thing it was like an old you know army drill sergeant as the counselor <laughs> and he like calls the guy a jack wagon and you know tells him to stop crying and you know that whole right the very st- stereotypical tough you know manly man um, but sorry I was just you know my, that was where my mind went when you were yeah. talking about that um, but it, I read a, a Facebook post um by Tim Keller, I think it was last week, and it had a quote that said, society says our problems come from the outside and solutions come from the inside. The gospel says the opposite. And I think that's very applicable to what we're talking about right now. Like you said, that struggle is internal, um, but the solution is outside of us, right? It's, It's our nature that's the problem. Like our actions matter and our actions uh, you know, serve to demonstrate the nature that is at work within us, right? When we sin, we we see that sinful nature kind of ex- express itself. Um, but unlike, you know, what society says that the solutions come from within us, you know, we have to come to a point where we, we recognize, look, the solutions are external. It's, right, the gospel changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Jesus is, you know, the way, the truth, and the life, not me. Right. Of course, my actions matter, but a change in actions isn't necessarily a change in nature. Right. And again, that's what, you know, when we look at the sermon discussion, that's what Christ has continually reminded us of it. And that's, you know, kind of his beef with the Pharisees, right, is that it was all about outward appearance. But really what Christ is concerned with and, you know, again, why it matters that that sin is something inherent to who we are, something that resides within us is that we can't make ourselves stop sinning and be reconciled to God apart from Jesus. And so 
we have to recognize that it's Jesus that does that, you know, for us and that it's he himself who, as you talked about, shows us what it's actually, what it actually looks like to perfectly live out the image of God. Right. You know, if, if we don't properly diagnose the problem, you know, we're not going to seek the right solution. And um, we need a heart change, and only, you know, Christ can provide that. And, and he does that by, um, you know, setting the perfect example for us, but he also um, does it by, you know, paying the penalty for our sin and sending, you know, the Holy Spirit. But, you know, we don't realize our need for that unless, you know, we could admit that um, we're in a much more profound, uh, profoundly difficult situation than, than, you know, we might want to admit, you know, it, it's not just a matter of cleaning ourselves up, um, making a few changes here and there. Right. And I think that's, you know, one of the ways that the gospel is inherently offensive to us, right? Is it, it's not just saying, Hey, you know, clean up some of the outward, outward actions and, and then you're, you're good. It's, who you are by nature because you've you've been affected by sin that's what needs to change and that's the offensive piece to us right is wait what (laughs) what is the you know that the gospel you know tim keller also says right the gospel says that we are more broken than we would ever imagine but at the same time you know more loved and, and cared for by our father in heaven than we could ever dare hope and I think that's the piece, you know, that then we, we wrestle with as well is it, it takes a humility. And, and I think that's, you know, one of the works that the Holy Spirit does in our lives that it, he gives us that, that we can then, you know, objectively look at our lives and say, okay, yeah, that's, that's where sin is the problem. And again, it's not about our action, but about heart change. Exactly. You know, the gospel is offensive precisely because it kind of, undermines our pride. It, it goes against everything we want to think about ourselves. And, um, but again, you know, when we admit the depth of the problem, you know, we can, you know, then t- turn to God and ex- accept his solution. Right. And I think this is why, you know, one of the reflection questions that you noted um, in, in one of the readings, I forget which, which one was, you asked, you know, the reader, do you see people as, you know, kind of naturally good or mostly good or mostly bad? And I think it's such a fascinating question because I think most of us would answer that question mostly good, even Christians who understand sin and its its effect on the world. I think we still want to believe in the good of humanity. And, you know, I think there's something to be said for that. But I think that kind of showcases how we don't necessarily grasp just how much of a problem sin is and really the, uh, the length to which, or the, you know, the depth of which it affects or to which it affects our lives. Yeah. I, I think most of us probably at least start off thinking, yeah, people are basically good. I mean, we look at our friends and our family, ourselves and, you know, maybe our neighbors and we're, we're willing to say, yeah, I mean, I mean, most of the time they do good things and, you know, they don't do anything too horrible. And, 
but and, and there's a reason for that because as we've said the, the image of god is is still there within us and so you know uh, that still kind of shows itself in certain ways but right alongside that there are these you know sinful attitudes and motivations that even when we're doing the right thing it's often again for the wrong reasons uh, or at least partially for those if that weren't the case we'd read through the sermon on the mount and say ah that's easy i i love my neighbor but we recognize that jesus call is so difficult because if we're honest with ourselves we see that inner attitude and we know that it is not as pretty which is also why we kind of are afraid to show all of who we are to other people we don't let them know all of what we're thinking and feeling it's that part of us that i think points to the sinfulness that on at least on some level we know is there and, and I think that's that part of us that the Bible wants to draw our attention to. Hmm. That's well said. One of the points that you brought up in the readings and then you, you know, dove a little deeper uh, on it in the digging deeper section this week is the idea that, you know, or kind of the question, isn't it, unf- isn't it unfair that we are by nature sinful as a result of the fall? Like, why are we held accountable for Adam's? action. So do you want to speak into that a little bit? Sure. It's not unfair, but uh, before we get into why that's the case, it's probably helpful to unpack the issue a little bit. The issue of unfairness comes up because, you know, Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God's command. And one of the consequences of that sin was that everyone born after them was born with a sinful nature. Um, And as a result of that, as as we've said, we have a natural inclination towards sin. And that strikes us as unfair because why should I suffer the negative consequences of someone else's actions? Um, You know, something that doesn't make sense to most of us. It's not what we think fairness ought to be. But in, in this instance, we need to remember that that sets up a situation or an arrangement where Jesus can, can fairly pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. In the beginning, Adam served as our representative. As a result of his failure, as, as a result of his being our representative, his failure became our failure. And in a similar way, Jesus served as our representative so that his victory becomes our victory. Um, now, you know, we might think that, oh, hey, I would have been much better off just being on my own. I didn't need anyone to be my representative to act on my behalf. But if that had been the case, we would have had to, live our entire life without transgressing any of God's commands. Um, Otherwise, we'd have had to pay, you know, an eternal consequence if we failed. And we would have had to do all of that with an enemy doing everything he could to trip us up. Um, You know, that's a gauntlet that I don't think any of us could have run through. So in his mercy, God planned a different system by which everyone could rely on Christ to save us by placing our faith in him. But to do that, you know, that arrangement required that, you know, Adam was our representative on the front end so that Jesus could be our representative on on the back end in the new creation. 
Right. And like you said, I think at, at first we hear that and it does seem unfair, but I think that's where that, that question that you're kind of posing of, you know, whose hands would you rather put your eternal fate in yours or Jesus's? I think then when we start to think through it with that lens, we start to recognize, like you said, obeying God's commands perfectly, living according to his standard of, of righteousness, as we've talked about, again, week after week as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, that's a serious, serious challenge. Uh, I think it's perfectly fair to say an impossible one to live up to, right? And and so there then we see the grace of God in designing it in such a way that, you know, again, it, God didn't create a world in which, okay, he knew Adam would sin and then he would just leave us all alone to figure out how to get back to him, right? But at the same time that he knew Adam would fall, he had planned from before time began for Christ to come and for Christ to be the solution, to be the way, the example of how we are to live as his children and to be the atoning sacrifice for us that you know we read in, in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then the second half of Romans 5, actually Paul breaks that down and, you know, kind of gives the argument of, you know, just as, you know, one sin led to the, the death, the spiritual death of all of humanity, you know, how much more through one man's obedience, Christ's obedience, would it bring eternal life? And, you know, it's kind of that same almost the same type of, you know, argument that Jesus was just using in our passage on Sunday of, you know, okay, consider the birds, right? If God cares for them, how much more does he care for you? Kind of that same sense of if the lesser could be true, if that through one man, death could reign, sin could reign, how much more through the obedience of one with the grace of God, you know, his abundant provision, Paul writes in, in Romans five seventeen, reign in life through Christ. And it's just a, Romans 5 is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. Um, and again, it, it's a difficult thing for us to wrap our minds around. But I think the question then stops being, you know, it, it's not really, is it, you know, fair or unfair, but we start to grasp just how good of a gift that really is for us, because then it doesn't depend on our actions. It isn't about, you know, the standard, but it's all about, what Christ has done, um, that, you know, we are saved by grace through faith, you know, and it's, it's a gift of God as we read in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Right. When we consider the issue, we need to keep Jesus and Adam together. Um, because as you say, Romans five puts them in, in parallel and it does so to, to point out the goodness uh, of God in sending Christ to be a representative. Um, it may strike us as unfair that we're paying the consequences for Adam's sin, um, but that argument falls apart when we realize that it allows us to to run to Christ and be saved uh, by pre precisely the same sort of relationship. Right, and in that parallel that Jesus is not just the same as Adam, but the greater Adam. Yes. And, you know, that's, again, important to remember that it's not, 
you know, they're not equal. <laughs> and, you know, the, we've mentioned that before, how the book of Hebrews does such a good job of, you know, getting across that point that Jesus is greater. He's the, you know, the greater priest, the greater sacrifice, et cetera. And, you know, I think then we, we begin to reflect on exactly how much God did to draw us back to himself. And so we start to, again, just with a little bit more understanding, grasp the depth of our sin um, and its destructiveness and its brokenness that, you know, has created this gap of separation between us and God until Christ came um, and until he died on the cross and, and paid the penalty that we deserved. And then again, it, we say, well, surely <laughs> I want to, you know, I want to uh, take hold of that. Um, and so, okay, well, then because God created it in such a way as though we would be lumped in with Adam, that all of humanity would be sinful as a result of Adam being our representative, so it would be with Christ that, that all of humanity can be saved by placing their faith in Jesus. Absolutely. So one of the last things you talked about in the devotional was the idea that one day we will be perfect, but of course you know, presently we are not. That is, we look to imitate Christ. What is it, what does it look like to do so? Understanding that again, at one point in eternity, we will be perfect with Christ, we'll be holy and righteous. Uh, but of course, you know, present day today, we are not there yet. How do we do that? Well, well, as strange as it might sound, I, I think there ought to be a measure of excitement. Yeah. Um, you know, when we think of the areas where we struggle with sin, you know, we, it's natural for us to be saddened by that reality. But when we, when we reflect on the fact that one day that will all change, we ought to be excited anticipating what God is going to do. And that, doesn't, that excitement doesn't have to only be oriented towards the future. We know that the Holy Spirit is already working in us to transform us. And that process can be painful at times because of the friction created by our sinfulness. But knowing that we are already becoming who we will one day be ought to bring us joy and it ought to have us looking forward to what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing in our lives to make that a reality. Exactly. And I think we struggle with that because we can fall into sort of a fatalistic viewpoint where you know we throw our hands up in the air as we see our continued sinfulness and brokenness and say well i'm, I'm just i'm never gonna reach that standard um, but i think as you said recognizing that the work of the holy spirit has begun the moment that we placed our faith in christ and it wasn't uh you know it's not like the holy spirit is is just waiting until you know eternity till christ comes and eternity begins and and then, okay, boom, we snap our fingers and we're perfect. But it's this, you know, this process of day by day being more, being made more and more into the image of Christ being, you know, perfected in that way as we, as we read in scripture. And I think that's one of the things that then, like you said, it does bring us joy, but I think sometimes we struggle to, I think, celebrate. And I don't know if that's the right word necessarily, but I think, rejoicing and praising the Lord for the progress that we see. Um, and I think you brought up even 
the idea that the process can be painful because we see our own sinfulness, but I think that in itself shows progress, right? As we talked about earlier, our nature is sin. We look to sin to satisfy us. We think that it will. Uh, and so even understanding and, and experiencing the pain of sin and, and the grief that we experience as we look on our own brokenness, that in itself shows progress that the Lord in his power is making our hearts desire what he desires for us. And obviously that's not sin. And so, you know, we start to grieve that. And then of course we can, you know, take hold of God's grace that is for us and, and, you know, repent from our sin and then, you know, cling to the grace and say, all right, I, I yearn for that day when I am perfect, when I will no longer have to feel this way. But at the same, in the same breath, I rejoice that God is continually sanctifying me, continually perfecting me until that day. Yeah, we almost have to look at it, you know, through two lenses. In one sense, in one aspect, we have to look at it and say, you know, yes, I am sinful, I've fallen short, and again, there's a sadness uh, uh, that that ought to to bring within us because we recognize that that's not, we're not living up to, to what God wants for us, and, and there should be sort of a, a sorrow that, that comes with that. But at the same time, through a, through a different lens, we see the Holy Spirit faithfully working us we can see the progress that we've made and we know that that progress is going to continue because of his work and so we can be excited anticipating that although we fall short we can be looking forward to what is the holy spirit going to be doing to further conform me to christ even in this life uh, because we know that he's going to keep working and so again that second lens allows us to to not just stay in the sorrow but to be eagerly anticipating you know what the holy spirit is going to do next what set of circumstances is he going to lead me into to learn patience for example or um, to change my perspective on this or that Um, how is he going to help me to see god more clearly Um, we know that that's going to happen, and we, we get excited about that, anticipating it, knowing that God is faithful. Right, and that's, you know, again, kind of tying it all together, right? It is exactly that. Is you, you talked about that, a, per, a perspective shift, as we've been discussing throughout the sermon discussions, where, you know, a worldly-mindedness and earthly-mindedness is this focus on just our sin, just our brokenness, and an inability to kind of lift our eyes up and consider what the Lord is doing, you know, how he's perfecting us and, and sanctifying us. And again, that's that. You, know, you you grab a hold of the heavenly mindedness that Jesus is, is calling us to, and then it becomes that, right? Of Yes, there will be difficulty, and yes, uh, we will experience the painfulness and the brokenness of sin and its consequences. But in the same time, we're experiencing how the Lord is using that redemptively in our lives. And again, we are looking forward to that reward of, of one day being sinless and perfect. Yeah, it, 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 you, you tied it neatly into a nice package. Again, that's that heavenly mindedness that uh, 
uh, sets our focus on both that eternal reward that we have in, in being conformed fully to Christ's image, but again, also that in the present, God's faithful work in us. And it, it's when we focus on that rather than just ourselves that the joy um, and the excitement comes. Amen. Well, let's pause the discussion there. As always, Phil, thank you so much for all of your thoughts and wisdom. Before we close, we would like to remind you that if you have any questions about anything we are discussing, you can send those questions to my email, davidmorelli at parkcitychurch.net, and we will attempt to answer them. Next week, we will be discussing Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 12, and talking about relational wisdom. Then, in the devotional, we will be starting a new topic for the month, Jesus. Our first subtopic will be the fact that Jesus is fully human. So please join us next week for that discussion. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Park City Podcast. We hope this resource helps you to see and savor God's goodness, beauty, and grace in your life. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.parkcitychurch.net. Once again, thanks for listening.